Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 43, and I invite you to turn there now in the Bibles that you've brought with you from home or that you'll find in your pews. Now, the more I read the text for this week, the more I was struck by its tone and tenor, the way that it articulates God's love for Israel. If you had an opportunity to read it beforehand, perhaps you noticed this too, but but before reading today's scripture, I'd, I'd like us to back up just a little bit and, and read what comes just before in the preceding verses. And, and it's helpful to remember the historical setting as well. This, when we find this text, this is just a few hundred years after the reign of King David. His kingdom at this point had been split into two the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And and by this point, the kingdom of Israel had already been destroyed. The kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem and the temple were located, was all that remained of David's former kingdom. And now they too were going to be conquered. And so we'll read the last two verses of chapter 42. And as you listen, remember that the name Jacob is used throughout Scripture to refer to the Jewish people as a whole. Beginning at verse 24, Who gave up Jacob to the spoiler and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey? So the Lord poured upon Jacob the heat of his anger and the fury of war. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him, but he did not take heart. In these words, the fury of war set fire all around. Isaiah is describing the conquest of the kingdom of Judah by the Babylonians, the destruction of the temple and the subsequent Babylonian exile when all but the poorest of Jerusalem's citizens were forced away from their homes, and off to Babylon. And we start there because a reading of these dark verses in chapter 42 is necessary for us to appreciate the the breadth and the depth of the love of God that is described later in chapter 43. Because here in 42, we read that they have sinned against the Lord, that they would not walk in God's ways, that they would not obey God's law. And so God's anger is poured out. They experience war, fire all around, and yet these people still don't understand. And right there, right there is where we pick up in today's text in chapter 43, verse 1. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight, 
and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, one of the features of biblical Hebrew writing is, is the repetition of a phrase or an idea in order to emphasize a point. Did you hear the repetition through these seven verses? He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Do not fear, for I am with you, because you are precious in my sight, and you are honored, and I love you. Our scripture this morning reminds us that God is the creator and the redeemer, and that God's salvific work that our salvation, God's rescue of humanity, is God's initiative. That it all begins with God, and it is not because of anything that we have done. It is, it is no work of our own. It is not because we finally get it right. Which is good news. But if that's the case... If the initiative lies with God, if our rescue depends on God's activity in the world, then how are we to understand the state of the world? What does it mean that there is a pandemic? What does it mean for the unexpected and unfair diagnosis, for the relationship that isn't working, for those things that for those things that break our hearts, for those feelings of depression and hopelessness and helplessness that exist, if God holds the initiative, then how are we to think about all of that? How do you think about it? You know, one of the natural human responses is a slide into cynicism. To throw our hands up in the air. And perhaps you have felt that this, this week and these last weeks as Omicron now sweeps across our community, across our state, across our country, once again threatening the lives of loved ones, causing businesses to close and disruptions to schools and daily life. Perhaps you find yourself angry at others. Angry that people won't take this seriously or angry that people are blowing this out of proportion. Or perhaps you find yourself vacillating between the two extremes on a daily basis or somewhere in the middle. However it is you react, know, know that it is your choice. And what you tell yourself about the world 
matters. What you tell yourself about the world and its people impacts the way that, that you, that, that we, interact with one another and the world around us. In a 2014 episode of Morning Edition on NPR, Laura Starczewski quotes two studies that highlight the way our internal perceptions shape the way that we interact with the world around us. In a 1911 study, Dr. Henry Head and Dr. Gordon Morgan Holmes, two neurologists, published a series of papers exploring this connection. Now, at the time, uh, in 1911, when the study was done, uh, the style was for women to wear these big hats with, with tall feathers on top. And what these doctors noticed was that when, when women who regularly wore these big hats walked through doors, they unconsciously ducked, whether or not they were wearing the hats. <clears throat> you see, their mental self was, was wearing the hat, even if their physical self wasn't. Their patterns of behavior influenced the way that they encountered the world around them. And neuroscientists are still trying to understand exactly how this works. And this is far from the only example of this phenomenon. A 2013 study from the Netherlands, scientists observed people who were diagnosed with eating disorders walk through doorways in a lab. And the people, they noticed, would turn their shoulders and slide sideways through the doorway, even though they had plenty of room. Dr. Branch Coslett, a cognitive neuroscientist at University of Pennsylvania, says their, their internal representation, their, their brain perspective on their body, was that their bodies were much, much bigger than in fact they were. What these people believed about themselves, what they told themselves over and over, informed the way they interacted with the physical world. So what we know is that what we tell ourselves again and again about the world matters. So what is your internal dialogue like as you go about your day? What does your self-talk sound like? How do you grapple with the brokenness of this world? What do we do with the brokenness of the world in light of the reality that God holds the initiative? And if we're not careful we may fall into this trap. Somewhere along the way in life, you encountered something that you deemed unfair or unjust. You were likely a young person, and, and you said something to someone about it. Probably someone that you loved, that you trusted. And this someone looked at you and they said, well, Life's not, that's right, and the world's not fair, which ultimately led to, well, I guess it's just the way that the world is. And they weren't wrong. The world is not fair. In, in fact, the world is sick. There are injustices all around us. And it is the way that the world is. The problem is that you've heard it so often or said it to yourself so many times that you now believe 
Well, that's just the way the world is supposed to be. And that is inaccurate. See, God did not create it this way. But our scripture this morning is clear. Our scripture this morning is clear that that although that was not God's intention, that we will face incredible challenges in this life. And notice that the passage does not read, if you pass through the waters or if you pass through the rivers. We read, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the fire. And the good news lies in the promise that God says, I am with you. I will redeem you. Our scripture this morning even foreshadows God's ultimate plan for redemption, for the redemption of the world and the work of Jesus Christ. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you. And we know that God ultimately gives Jesus Christ for us. What are you going through? What are you dealing with? As we talk about challenges and hardships, what is that thing or those things for you? And we can generally categorize these into one of two areas. Those issues, those hardships that are of our making and those that are beyond our control. Let's address the former first, those challenges, those difficulties that we bring upon ourselves. The good news is that God does not abandon us because we chose poorly. God does not say, when you go through the fire, as long as you didn't set the fire, I am with you. When you go through the rivers, as long as you didn't jump in the water, I am there. God doesn't distinguish, and I don't know about for you, but for me, that is awfully good news. Because I've set my fair share of fires and jumped in my fair share of rivers. But what about the problems we don't create? The stuff that, that we have no control over. In an article from Christian Century last February, James K. Smith, a theologian and philosopher at Calvin Institute, recounts a scene from the NBC show The West Wing. And and, and it's a scene where the White House chief of staff is addressing his deputy who's struggling with PTSD. And he tells him this parable. He says, there's this guy walking down the street when he falls into a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out, and a doctor passes by. And the guy in the hole shouts up, hey, you, can you help me? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down in the hole and moves on. And then a priest comes along, and the guy shouts, father, I'm I'm down here in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest writes down a beautiful prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. 
And then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps into the hole. The guy says, are you stupid? (laughs) Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. We see the reality in the life and death of Jesus Christ, God's own Son. Christ is not rescued from the cross. Christ jumps into the hole, jumps into the pain of this world. Christ endures the cross and in doing so rescues us. What we believe, what we know as Christians is that we worship a God who jumps into the hole. But this is why we need chapter 42 this morning. Before getting to 43, we need it as a reminder of both the holes that we create and don't create in order to understand the depth and breadth of God's love. Because today's scripture, together with chapter 42, reminds us that God's love and salvation exists not because of who and what we are, but because of what and who we are to God. Hear that again. Our text for today reminds us that that God's love and salvation for us exists not because of who we are, but because of who we are to God. This is a broken and sort of dirty pacifier. And I love it. Hannah used a pacifier for about her first two years of life. That's Amy's and mine's daughter. And it wasn't something that we had necessarily planned. One night we were out to dinner and it happened to be in the diaper bag. Hannah was unconsolable this evening and we wanted to enjoy ourselves and so we gave it a shot. Well, it worked. And if you've ever found a solution that works to something, it's difficult to go elsewhere. And so we bought lots of these. And we had them strategically placed in all areas of life, in the car, in the office, in the stroller, attached to things with leashes so that we always had one. But at some point, we knew that that we needed to move on from using these. And so about her second birthday, Amy and I decided that when the last pacifier was either broken or lost, that was it. We would not replace them again. Frankly, I was excited to be, to be rid of them. And, and finally, that day came. And this is the last one. It's dirty, chewed through, 
It's a piece of plastic whose best days are well behind it. Its usefulness is gone. And I love it. I love it because of what it represents. Those earliest days of Hannah's life. My wife and I, we, we give it value. Because otherwise it is just a dirty, chewed up piece of plastic. Our scripture this morning, our scripture this morning reminds us that God is the one that gives us value. It's not us. It's not someone else. And frankly, we don't even get a say in the matter. Even when we are at our worst, when we go through the waters, when we pass through the fire, when we are frustrated and angry at all of those around us, when we are dirty, chewed up, useless, with our best days behind us, God says, you are precious in my sight and honor, and I love you, and that is good news. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.